and uh, those of us who heard you, thank you for being here today. I was able to see uh, some old friends, and uh, not in age, but uh, in tenure from years ago. Uh, somebody made fun of me and said I had gray hair, and, uh, and then some of you I haven't been able to meet yet, but I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for honoring us with your presence. I hope you get a blessing today. If you had your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen for you. But people like to write things in their Bible and underline words. That's always helpful to remember the passage and go back and learn things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And after you locate that, find Hebrews chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 1 and Hebrews chapter 2. I want to talk to you about Easter this morning. My mom loved holidays. All of us love holidays. She loved Christmas, and she loved Easter very, very much. My mom also loved uh, flowers and plants, and she loved trees. And uh, you could, on any given day when the weather was nice, spot her outside uh, flowering, flower, uh, watering, not flowering, watering her plants and her flowers when she went on a long trip somewhere. She gave very strict instructions to my brother Hoss to make sure that those things were watered. And uh, one time he forgot. And she came home, and some of you ladies know, some of you men may not, some some guys do. You have a green thumb. But he forgot, so he tried to catch up on the last three days. And so the wages of sin (laughs) caught up with him, and she came home and and he told me about this, and then she told me later, she said, you didn't water my flowers. He said, well, Mom, I did, but I forgot a few days. But one of her favorite trees was a dogwood tree. And we have one of those in our backyard. It's uh, in a full uh, uh, flower right now, and expression is beautiful, just beautiful. And I remember when I was a little boy, how that she took me to a dogwood tree. Uh, there was one that was out. It just happened to be in the path. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says to, to teach your children uh, when you lie down at night, when you wake up in the morning. And it also has an expression, by the way. That just means as you're going through life. And so she called me over to that tree and she said, I want to show you something. And she said, there's a story about the dogwood tree. Some of you know this. And she said, it's a legend that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified from the wood, from the dogwood tree. Now, this is not rooted in biblical fact or history, okay? I want to clarify that. But it, it has a powerful story to it. And I remember as a little boy being enchanted by this. I've never forgotten. And in fact... Whenever I see a a dogwood tree, and this one is in our backyard and others, I always think of this story, and I think about my mom, who loved me enough to make imprints on my heart with the gospel. And she said, it it was said that Jesus was crucified with wood from the dogwood tree. And back in those days, of course, if you've ever seen one, the wood and the limbs aren't very strong. They're, They're very small. Back then, they were strong and sturdy, but because of what happened on the cross, Jesus, God cursed the dogwood tree, and it became very small and frail. 
so that that might never happen again with the dogwood tree. That no one would ever die on a dogwood tree with such a death. And then she reached across and she grabbed one of the little blooms from that and she showed me the petal. And she said, there's four uh, petals on a blossom and it's shaped like a cross. And in the the middle of the petal, there's a little uh, growth, as it were, a grouping. And it's very thick. And she said, it it resembles a crown of thorns. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. Even though I was a little boy, this impacted me. But this is what really got me. And she said, I want you to notice on the perimeter, on, on the little edges, uh, that there's pink. And she said, that represents the blood of Jesus for when he died for our sins. And my mom pointed out the gospel story to me just from the blossom from a dogwood tree. And I was taking a picture of, of the one in our backyard the other day inside the house. Paula said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just taking a picture. And uh, she said, well, you get a better picture if you go back outside. But I didn't tell her. I don't want to go out in all the pollen. I just want to take it inside where it was a little safer. But Easter means different things to different people, doesn't it? Uh, for some people, it means uh, uh, a new outfit. You know, maybe a new dress or uh, my mom would buy new things for us, a, a new tie or a new shirt or something like that. For some people, it's, uh, it just represents a fresh thing, something that's new uh, from the turning of winter to spring. And they really don't celebrate spring as the day of spring, beginning of spring in March. I think it's March 22nd. But it's Easter. Easter is kind of when really the weather's really nice and usually when it's in April. And it represents something fresh. Some people think of Easter as a holiday. And so they'll decorate the eggs and have activities with their children and maybe have a big dinner with the family. And all of those things are good and nothing's wrong with any of that. But Easter, listen carefully, is fundamental to Christianity. It's fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. And if we bury what Easter really means, then you're going to miss not just what it means to be a Christian, but the best part of life. Now I want to give you the the big idea, really what I want to talk about in this message, and I'm going to give you some applications to that that will help you. Easter is about the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ offers us lasting transformation. That's what Easter is about. That the Lord Jesus is not just a man, but he's God. And that he can offer us lasting transformation. You see, that's something that you can't get from personal vows and renewals and going to um, AAA and different things. Some people have been helped by various groups, but the only way you get lasting transformation, lasting transformation, is by a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, encountering the living God through the person of Christ. And once you have Him in your life, you experience lasting transformation. So here's my question this morning. Are you free? 
Is there an area in your life this morning that you are in bondage to? Usually we hear that and we say, well, preacher, I'm not an addict. And by the way, with a crowd this size, some people may be. You may in your past or presently be struggling with some addictions. But we usually define that in a narrow way. But are you free this morning from fear? Are you addicted to fear where you're in bondage to that? How about guilt? Where it just haunts you because of a week in your life that if you could cut it out, you would. A year or a day or an hour. How about selfishness? You're just in bondage to that. You live in a very small world. It's all about you. And so you have a a trail of broken relationships. How about complaining? You're a negative person. Maybe people have told you that and you just can't see it. But if many people tell you that, maybe you're a complainer. Maybe you're angry and you're bitter because someone betrayed you or someone did not keep their promise. And you're just a bitter person and you're in the prison of bitterness. Maybe you hate someone. Maybe, maybe you have some habits that you, you can't overcome. But there's a bondage in your life and you're not free. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is about. The solution to sin, the solution <coughs> to a lack of freedom, to bondage, is the gospel, as Brother Tim has so ably emphasized this morning. The gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you can't have a resurrection without a death, is the most powerful message in the world. Because the gospel, listen carefully, frees you from the problems of your heart. And that's where all the problem is. It's in, it's in me. D.L. Moody said this one time. He said that if I could kick the person that's responsible for most of my problems, he said I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. And our problems are rooted inside of us. And we will never overcome those problems in our marriage, in our personal relationships, and ultimately with God, apart from the resurrection of Jesus. But there's a problem with the gospel. And the problem is not with God, it's with us. I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to go through this hurriedly. But I want, I want to point out some things in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and just see some problems here. Notice in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, that's people that are lost, they've rejected the gospel, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Notice the contrast there. To some people, the gospel's foolishness. They reject Christ. They, they don't believe that uh, there was a Christ or that they believe he was a historical Jesus. But all that stuff's not for me. It's foolishness. But unto us which are saved, the gospel is the power of God. Now, what does that mean? That means he is the deliverer. When we talk about being saved, which uh, is a Bible word, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you've grown up in church, here's a problem with becoming familiar with words is, is they lose their meaning. 
And so as your pastor, I've tried to expand those meanings, not change them. But sometimes I will use synonyms to get you to think. You know what the word saved means? It means to be delivered. It means to be transformed. It means to be delivered from guilt, to be delivered from shame, to be delivered from sin. So look at it that way. But unto us which are delivered, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the delivering agent. But it is not just a message. It is a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. But now here's the problem with the gospel. Again, it's not with God. He's done his part. But here's the problem. Move down to verse 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For after that, in the wisdom of God. Now there's going to be a contrast here between wisdom and foolishness and power and weakness. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the most brilliant thing in the world, in the universe, is the gospel. For after that, in God's wisdom, the world by wisdom, the world's wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So you're delivered, you're changed, you're transformed by believing the gospel. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now, what does that mean? And here's the problem with the gospel. Uh, The Jews wanted a sign. That means they wanted a miracle to authenticate the Messiah. They said, well, I want a feeling. I want something more than just faith. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. The word wisdom there has the idea of of seeking after intelligence, but specifically philosophy. They wanted to debate. They wanted to go into the classroom. And so here's the problem with the gospel. It's not with God. It's with us. We think that the gospel is foolishness. We seek after feelings. We seek after emotion. We seek after worldly wisdom. But keep reading. But we preach Christ crucified, which is part of the gospel, unto the Jews. And here it is, a stumbling block. And not just Jews stumble over this, people do. Well, that's too simple. I want a feeling. I I, I want something. That's too easy. No, God did the hard part. He left the easy part for you. He, He bridged eternity to become a man for you. Under the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. You see, when you reject faith and you begin to just require of God things, you're not going to become a Christian. You're not going to be delivered. Because you want to put your currency on the table and you want to encounter God in your way. And it becomes foolish to you. It becomes a stumbling block. Keep reading. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, by the way, that's the Greek has the idea of a Gentile, that's the whole universe, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see that? God said, yes, in your eyes I'm foolish. Yes, in your eyes I'm weak. But God says, my foolishness in the gospel is wiser than your philosophy. My weakness, my son on the cross, which appears to you to be weakness until the resurrection, is stronger than your belief. And that's what transforms a man and a woman's heart, a young person's heart. It's not a classroom. It's not an emotion. 
is putting faith in the living Christ. We looked at this verse. Look at it again in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, for it, is this message. For it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the universe. And the gospel is not just a message. The gospel is a person. And it is unto salvation. It is unto deliverance. It's unto transformation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are are you a Christian? Have you been saved? Now I'm going to rephrase it. Have you been delivered? Not are you perfect, but have you been transformed? Are you the same person that you were that when you started going to church? Do you still lie? Do you still cheat? Do you still curse and swear and use God's name in vain? Are you still negative the way you used to be? Listen, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And there's a difference. And the difference is the gospel. It's not me. It's not your efforts. For I am not ashamed. The word ashamed there doesn't have... The idea as much as going out in the street, it includes this and and telling people, but it has the idea of being disappointed. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not disappointed in the message because it has transformed me. It's changed my life. It's made a difference. The church at Thessalonica, Brother Tim alluded to this. I want to add a little phrase to it in First Thessalonians chapter one and verse five. Paul said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, now watch this, but also in power. So we preach to you the power of the gospel came with that word and in your life and in the Holy Ghost. Now watch this. And in much assurance, now look at this, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now, you know what he was saying? Here's what he was saying. The gospel came in power, not just with you, but it came in power because you saw what the gospel did in our life. You saw the fruit of the gospel in our life. A few weeks ago, I preached a message uh, in the church here, and someone met me on the way out and just made a passing comment. And they said, I appreciate the message that helped me. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate you telling me that. That's encouraging. And then they said this. They said, but the best part of the sermon was that you lived that. And I, I don't say that to elevate myself. Here's what I'm saying. The best part of your life is not that you pass out a tract, but you live what's in the tract. That you live the gospel. The gospel is not just a message. It is a message, but it is the effects. It is the transformation in your life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto deliverance, unto transformation, unto salvation. What has God saved you from? Are you listening? This is what Easter is about. It is something new. It is something fresh. We'll we'll preach your... I walked the aisle and I got baptized. 
Well, were you transformed? What have you been delivered from? I'm not talking about self-will. I'll explain this a little clearer in a moment. But have you ever been to the cross? Personally, does Christ live in you? Do you know him personally? Is he working in your life? Do you have habits in your life that he's working with to help you to overcome? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. Are you going in the direction of of becoming more Christ-like? You'll never be perfect till you go to heaven. None of us will be. This is what Easter is about. Are you different than you were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 10 months ago? This is the gospel message. This is what the gospel is. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved or delivered. The gospel, the gospel is the power of God. It has the power to deliver, to save, to transform, to change. You don't get that by growing up in church. You don't get that by going to a Christian school. You don't get that by, by praying a prayer. You get that by knowing Christ. And by Him knowing you and walking with Him. And He changes you. You become a different man, a different woman. And He helps you. What is the preaching of the cross? What is the preaching of the cross? It is a message that God sent His Son. And He came and He became a man. And came to a sin-cursed world. That rejected him and rejected his message. And he was innocent and he was pure. We read the verse earlier that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And instead of humbling ourselves before him and repenting of our sins, we brutalized him. And we beat him. We say, well, the Romans killed Jesus. In the first place, nobody killed Jesus. The Bible says in John 10, he laid his life down willingly. And I would say that if we had been there, we would have done the same thing. We would have rejected him. John 1, 11, he came to his own and his own received him not. And they slapped him. And they spit upon him. Can you imagine people spitting on God? And slapping him with the hands that he had made and the spittle from their mouth that he had created. And then they took a crown of thorns and they plated it together, the Bible says, and they pressed it into his brow where where there are more uh, micro blood vessels than anywhere in your body. And he bled and they scourged him. What's called the proverbial cat of nine tails, but it's worse than that. It's leather thongs held by professional executioners, the Romans, which was the most severe, torturous form of execution known to the world in that time. And inside on the edges of those leather thongs were seashells and jagged pieces of rock and metal. These professional executioners executioners would lift their hand and it would wrap around the body of the man. And it would sink in the body like fish hooks, if you will. 
And then they would jerk it back and it would rip the flesh off in shreds. Some men were, were disemboweled and they died from that. The Romans were forbidden to do that. In fact, they could only hit someone with a rod 40 times. And so they only did it 39 times to make sure they didn't go over 40. The Romans weren't under any constraints like that. In fact, they, the executioners weren't careful. Sometimes it would wrap around their, not just their torso, but around the face and other parts of the body. Isaiah chapter 52 says that when they saw Jesus on the cross, that he didn't look like a man. The vast majority of pictures, 99% of the pictures that you see of Jesus have an effeminate man hanging upon the cross with a little trickle of blood down there. That's not what he looked like. You'll forgive me for saying this, but it's an honest statement. When he was hanging there between two thieves and people walked by, they said, look, look up there. What is that? Is that a dog? Is that an animal? What is that? He didn't even have the visage of a man, the Bible says. And they used the thorns in the wood. They made the cross and the seashells and the leather from the thongs. And the metal. And the nails they put in his hands and in his feet. All of which the creator had made. And the creatures used what the creator made to crucify our Lord and Savior. And we did that. Say, so, no, the Romans did that. We did that in their stead. And then they came and they buried him. And then gloriously, three days later, he came out of the grave. And we celebrate that today. And he was witnessed by over 500 people in one, one place, just one place. And we serve a living Savior. But listen, this is the message of the cross. And this message has transformed people. It's what saves people. It's what delivers people. But listen carefully. It's not the emotional impact of the message or the pictures. It's what happened from the message of the cross. And let me give you three implications quickly as we close today. First of all, the cross and the resurrection removed the fear of death. The Easter message enables us to die well. It has transformed my fear from dying. The Bible teaches that every person has an inherent fear of death. Now, if they say they don't, they're lying. Now, at some point, they may have convinced themselves psychologically, but there was a time and there was a place when they were afraid of dying. Saying so, you know, that, preacher, how do you know that? Because the Bible teaches it. For many people, it's impolite conversation to talk about death. We try to ignore it. We don't want to make up our wills. We don't want to consider it. People are afraid to die. The Bible says in Psalm 55 and verse 4, the writer said, My heart is sore pained within me. And listen, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Do you see that? 
I'm going to ask you a question. How many times in your life have you been terrified? I'll answer the question for you. Not many. You, you haven't been terrified many times. There may have been a few and some of you never. The terrors of death. You know, something fascinating. Go read the last words of, of unbelievers and read the last words of believers before pain, very powerful anesthetic drugs came up and painkillers. When people were still conscious in olden days. The last words of, of Steve Jobs. Do you know what they were? Some of you know what they were. It's in his biography. Do you know what they were? His wife said this. I think it was his wife said it at his funeral. If not one of his best friends because she had told someone. I, I've read a couple of biographies of his. Not because he's a hero. I appreciate some things he did. Just I, I like to read biographies. But here's what he said three times. Wow, wow, wow. Now, what was he saying that about? I don't know. But you go read some of these things and it will help you to realize that there's a difference in the way a Christian dies and an unbeliever. My friend Rusty Jones, who the gym over here, we named the gym after him. He was on staff here. And he became very sick and from a long-standing disease. And some of you know Rusty, his family. Spoke at his funeral. Rusty passed away. Brother Charlie and I were talking about it the other night. And uh, he and Kathy were there the night before. And uh, I think it was Carol that was in the room, his wife. And he was talking. Some people would say out of his head and said, so do you see them in the corner? Do you see them in the corner? The angels are in the corner. Rusty loved Jesus. When my daddy died in 2008, July. Nobody was in the room. My mom had just left 30 minutes before. She went back, talked to the nurses. And the nurse that was in there when dad had a the last heart attack and he, he could get his breath his last moments and they laid him down they they were giving him some treatments and so forth on his chest she said he lifted his left hand and he pointed up he pointed up to heaven and he just looked up to heaven and he was pointing up and why did he do that I, I don't know but he, he he was looking up there and he was seeing something You see, unbelievers are, are afraid of death. If you're a Christian this morning, you don't need to have terror of death. I ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Would you look at that? Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 14. Hebrews two fourteen. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus also himself took part of the same. That means he became a man. And why did he do this? Why did he become a man? That through death he might destroy him, the devil, that had the power of death. That is the devil. Now look at this, verse 15. And deliver them. Isn't that, isn't that word interesting? It means he transformed them. He saved them. 
who, speaking of us, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Remember I talked to you about being in bondage, enslaved. The word bondage there means to be shackled. They were shackled to fear, to the fear of death. And if you and I believe the Bible, I believe every word of the Bible, it says all of their lifetime they were subject to bondage through fear of death. But Jesus came and verse 14 says that through death he destroyed him that had the power of death. One of the best things my mom did, and daddy did too, I shouldn't say just mom, daddy did too, is from the time I was a little boy, as they took us to funerals. And I was confronted with the reality of death. And I really know, honest, I don't mean this as a criticism, but I've known people that have never been to funerals. My daddy died. A, a friend of ours came through, came through with their work uniform. And they were weeping because they loved our family. They loved my daddy. And she said, I've never been to a funeral before. I've never been in a funeral home before. I had family that when... My dad died. They, they didn't want to come in. And that was okay. I'm not angry at all. It was just fear. They were afraid. I remember my mom's best friend died in church. And I remember this. It was over at Laughlin. I remember standing there. And she's gone. I must have been six or seven. I still remember her name. My mom loved that lady so much. She was a mentor to her. She was older than her. And it hurt my mom. But if you're a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of these things. Death was not a part of God's plan. Satan brought it in. God said, if you sin, the wages of sin is death. Genesis chapter 2. And the very moment, the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned, Sin began to, they were separated from God, and they began to die. And nature became cursed, and thorns, and thistles, and and mosquitoes grew little hypodermic needles. And all of nature became cursed. And now, Adam and Eve had children, they had children, it went down to us. And we have, from the time we were born, we are dying, our cells are dying and reproducing. Adam and Eve didn't have that problem. And you're going to die. But you don't need to fear to die. You say, preacher, I I didn't come to hear this. Well, this is what Easter is about. And the reason we fear death is because of the unknown. We don't know how that's going to go. And look, I understand that. It's like the old boy that said, are you afraid to die? He said, no, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to get on the next load, though. I don't want to get on the next train, you know. Well, part of that is just because I have things I want to do, but I also there, there's a fear of the unknown. But you know what's deeper than that? It's the fear of the known. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. It's not just that I don't know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. I'm guilty. My conscience is unclean. My grandmom had cancer. She passed away in 1982. I was home from school uh, one summer, and uh, Melanie Hoss and I took turns taking care of her. And uh, 
fellow came by selling some things. He was working for uh, one of the cemeteries locally, and they were selling cemetery plots. And she invited him in. My grandmom loved the Lord. And so we went into the kitchen. It was just me and my grandmom and the salesman. And I thought, well, this is unique. I've never heard of anything like this. I want to kind of see what the presentation was like. And so uh, he pulled his little thing out and went through the notebook and showed all of the, you know, the little uh, cemetery plots and how how they were going to sell them and so forth. Anyhow, she, because of her sickness, she had to leave for a few minutes. And I thought, well, I want to ask him some questions. And I said, I want to ask you a question. It's about what you're doing, if you don't mind. He said, sure. I said, here's my question. I said, what do people do? How do they respond psychologically when you come in and you're selling this product about death? Because how do they handle that? He said, well, he smiled. He said, it's interesting. He said, you know how we're sitting at the kitchen table? He said, almost everybody sits me down at the kitchen table. And I said, well, that's interesting. He said, the second thing is, he said, you know what your grandmom did? He said, uh, many, many people, about halfway through, they will dismiss themselves. And they'll say, I'll be back in a minute. And they'll go back in the house. And I'll wait. And I'll, the first couple of times, I thought, well, what's going on? And I'll wait. But after a while, they never came back. Now I know after about 10 minutes, they're not coming back. I just pack my things up and I leave. They don't want to hear anymore. It's too morbid for them. Now, Grandmom did come back. I was uh, doing a funeral. It was great side service one day. I got there early, and the fellows were digging the graves. And I came up, and I talked to them. I said, hey, tell me, tell me how long you've been doing this. And uh, he told me, I said, well, how, do you, how do you handle this? Knowing the kind of business is just matter-of-fact kind of things, or do you ever think about it? And I began to witness to him about being so close to death. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. He's resurrected. Listen to this. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Now watch this. And I have the keys of hell and death. The keys. You know what keys mean? They mean you have access and authority. Most of you don't have keys to this door. But some of the leaders do. Jesus has the keys to the grave and to hell. Where the body resides and where the soul resides. Because he, he has the keys. He has the keys. Because he was dead, he was buried, and he rose again. You know what the Easter message is? You don't need to be afraid to die. The night before he was crucified in John chapter 14 and verse 19, he said, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Easter means that I'm enabled to die well. Secondly, it enables me to live well. I can not only die well, I can live well. You know, the Christian life is not difficult. Now, that may encourage some of you, but it's worse. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible to live the Christian life. There's only one person, and this is why you're frustrated. 
when preachers preach on the Christian life and you try to live it and you can't, so you kind of live a hidden life. You don't tell anybody the struggles you're having because none of us can live it apart from Christ. There's only one person that lived the Christian life. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled the law in every respect. And when he died on the cross and he rose again, he came to live inside of me. And now I can obey the Lord. I can live a righteous life. I can please the Lord, not because I'm good, because I'm not, but because he's good. And because I I can live well, I, I can live to please the Lord. I can love my wife. I can be a friend. I can be honest. And when I stumble, I can get back up because he lives in me. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. My flesh is weak. I cannot do these things. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he died for my sins. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And here's how you do it. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind or think about the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and He helps me to think about things that are righteous, and He gives me the desire and ability to please the Lord. Listen, Jesus came not only to die for me, but He came to live in me. You see, the gospel message is not just about the death of Christ, it's about the resurrection of Christ. And it's not just a principle of life, it's not just principled living, it's personal living. It's not just about being committed, it's about the Christ life. It's who He is so that I can be what He wants me to be. Look at these verses, Romans 6 and verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That means when He died, I died. When you see Jesus on the cross, see Him in your mind. See yourself there. He's your representative. When he was on the cross, you were there. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When he rose from the dead, you rose from the dead. When he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. And now you can walk in a new life, in newness of life. The word newness there means a fresh life, a new quality of living. You see, I I can die well, but I can live well. It's not just the same old, same old stuff. I have a resurrected Christ inside of me. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man, my old nature, that old corrupt part of me is crucified with him. It's a fact of history. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Do you get this? This is what it means to be a Christian. This is a definition of Christianity. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
You see, being a Christian is not learning some things and then striving to live up to the standard. That's not being a Christian. This is transformative living. You see, the Easter message enables me to die well. It enables me to live well. But it's not about me. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, if I have life in the Spirit, if He lives in me, let us also walk in the Spirit. That means moment by moment, I listen to Him. He wrote the Bible, the Holy Spirit authored the Bible, I read the Bible, I meditate in the Bible. He, he abides in me, I abide in Him. Galatians chapter uh, 5 and verse 16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're not just saved from the, from the penalty of sin, which is death and hell. You're saved from the power of sin, which is sin ruling in your body. I love uh, the writer Ian Thomas. Here's what he said. Listen to this. Godliness is not the consequence of your capacity to imitate God. You see, this is our problem. We want to imitate God. That's not Christianity. But it's the consequence of his capacity to reproduce himself in you. It is not self-righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. The righteousness that is by faith, a faith that by renewed dependence upon God, releases his divine action to restore the marred image, which is what happened when Adam sinned, of the invisible God. And people begin to see Jesus in you. But you're able to be humble because you don't have to pretend to be humble because, you know, that sure isn't me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ in me. Someone said this. Listen carefully. Living for Jesus is not your responsibility, but it's your response to his ability. I like that. I can do that. Living for Jesus is not your responsibility, but it's your response to his ability. And that's the resurrection. The Easter message, it it enables you to die well, enables you to live well. And then thirdly, the Easter message enables you to suffer well. To suffer well. Christ gives you power for any circumstance for the present. You know, anybody can do well when there's no pain. You got money in the bank. When you got a job. But the Easter message helps you when things aren't going well. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I want to point something out. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. Sometimes we look at that, that that is what brings salvation, but it's also a continuing fact. You see, the gospel is for those that believe. That is that after I believe, the gospel is still changing me. It transforms me, even in my trials. When I'm suffering, when I'm hurting, when I'm rejected, when things are just pulling at me. So the gospel not only forgives me of my sins, but it helps me to face my trials. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, listen to this. Paul said, for though he, Jesus, was crucified through Weakness, yet, don't miss the yet, yet he liveth by the power of God. 
though he, there was a crucifixion, but now he lives by the power of God. And then he makes the application, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God. I want to ask you a question. What's your weakness? What's the chink in your armor? Maybe you don't tell anybody about it. It's a mistake you made. It's a, it's a, a perpetual sin. It's something that nags at you. I know, I know what one of mine is. And it just, it, it pulls me down. I have to pray about it constantly, even last night. It hurts me when I preach. And I have to live here, for we are also weak in Him, but we shall live with Him by the power of God toward you. He's glorified in your weakness, not your strength. Samson was not a, a, a powerful, strong man with muscles. He, he was a very ordinary man. That's how God got glory in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 16, For which cause we faint not, we don't get discouraged. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Day by day, I need to be renewed. And as you get older, you'll understand this. You don't need to be as old as I am. You get in your 30s. In your 40s, the outward man begins to perish. But the inward man is renewed, but you have to do this on a daily basis. And you're renewed by Christ. You say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need the resurrected Christ to help me with this trial. Whatever your trial is, whatever your cross that you're bearing is, and He will, he will enable you to suffer well. Some of you are so grumpy, you're so negative. The Holy Spirit can help you with this. He can give you joy and enable you to, to suffer well. The word renew there means to renovate. And we're renovated like Christ. That's what it means. He makes me like Jesus. This is not by imitation. This is the Lord Jesus living his life out through me. Back in November... Uh, a good friend of mine passed away. Her name was Erlene. She has been here twice with her husband, Ronnie, and, and stood right here where I'm standing. And she and her husband have given testimony to our church through the years. I met uh, Ronnie and Erlene back in 1979 at Wall Highway Baptist Church out in Madison where I served when I was in college. And... Uh, she had the worst case of rheumatoid arthritis I've, I've ever seen. In fact, when we moved to Virginia there shortly thereafter, um, they had a special unit for people with rheumatoid arthritis in Arlington. And so Paul and I went to visit her. And I remember she was 30 years old then. And, boy, that was a 40 years ago. And uh, it got so bad that she, she literally, some of you have relatives, and we have folks in our church that struggle with this, but... She literally walked like a robot. She, and it was in every joint, major joint in her body. She, she was so stiff with her knees. And Erlene, Erlene worked in the bus ministry. And she, she visited on Saturdays. I was a bus director. And I don't know how she did it. There were no requirements on her, but she insisted. Her husband was a bus driver. 
Every week he would hoist the wheelchair up into the the bus, just him. And they would go pick up the boys and girls and then get the wheelchair down. And she would stand up and greet the kids. She was the happiest, most joyful person. You know, sometimes we say that about different people. He was the happiest. He was the happiest. He was the happiest. He was the happiest. And we say that about a lot. Of she was the happiest people person. Just so joyful. And, and in such such pain with the swollen joints and just couldn't walk. And everybody has said what I'm saying. Just phenomenal person. Incredible person. Ronnie was an amazing man. Her hands were such and, and so gnarled and, and not just swollen but gnarled up. She couldn't comb her hair and so he would get her dressed. And they stood here and, in appropriate ways told how that... He had to do that, how he had to wash her hair and comb her hair and and then dry it and fix it. He had to become a beautician. And uh, he had to take care of his wife. Amazing couple. She passed away in, in November and then just a few weeks ago in March, just four months after she passed away, Ronnie passed away. These are dear, dear friends of ours. Some of you may remember them, you may not. It's been a long time since I've had them here. We miss them. How, how does someone do this? How did they do this? It wasn't self-help books. It wasn't self-will. It was the power of the resurrected Christ. It was the Easter message. Are you listening to me? This is what Easter is about. I'm glad you got a new tie or you got a new dress or I'm glad you have some eggs maybe for your kids or you got a big meal planned. I'm glad you're doing that. But that'll be over tomorrow on Tuesday. You know what Easter's about? It enables you to die well. It enables you to live well. It's transformative. It enables you to suffer well. All of us are going to suffer. Do you know do you know Christ? Do you know him personally? Wouldn't you like to die well? When it comes your time to die. Wouldn't you like to live well? Aren't you tired of the way you are? Aren't you tired of conflict? Wouldn't you like to suffer well? I hate suffering. I hate headaches. I hate pain. Wouldn't you like to suffer well? If you're going to die well, you're going to live well, you're going to suffer well, you need a greater power than yourself. But the power is not in you. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you come to Him and you admit, God, I don't have the strength. I can't do this without you. And I do not deserve you. I have broken your law. I have sinned. But I sure do need your help. And I need a Savior. I need to be saved. I need to be delivered from myself. My biggest problem is me. I need to be saved today. Because I want to die well one day. I'm tired of being afraid of dying. I'm tired of not living well. And hurting the people I love the most. And I'm tired of not suffering well. 
You may be here and you walk down an aisle and you've been baptized, but listen carefully. You've never been saved. You've never been delivered. You're no different now than when you did that 50 years ago. You're the same person. And when it comes your time to die, you're going to wonder, why is my life not different? I don't know the Lord. and He doesn't know me. All I have is a little piece of paper or my name's been written on a church roll somewhere that says I'm a church member, but I'm not a child of God. Wouldn't you like, wouldn't you like to be a child of God? Wouldn't you like to die well? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning, if you would.